You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Individualism in our culture is becoming more and more common. The thought of if I have any issues, if I'm going through anything, I'll just figure it out myself. Or if I'm suffering, I'll just suffer alone. I'll just do it by myself. The thought that I'm going to live with complete autonomy, that no one except me can direct me. That if we quietly just work on ourselves and keep our head down, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Essentially to interact and depend on the least amount of people as possible. So the question is, does this actually work? Is this a good way of life to do it alone? We see this play out in the classic story of Anakin Skywalker, where he tried to suffer through his issues alone without the help of his mentor and his best friend, Obi-Wan. And as a result, as a result, I see those of you smiling, you get it. He lost his wife, he lost his way of life, and was not given a chance to be in the life of his twin babies. Despite the difficulties of living this way, many people choose to live like this anyways. And this lifestyle, I see, has crept into the church, where perhaps we're dealing with issues that no one knows about, secretly struggling without the support and prayers of the saints where some of us are suffering through problems our neighbors could fix. Often, many of us, we find ourselves in similar situations, struggling alone. And guess where we are when we find ourselves there? Right where Satan wants us, isolated. In life, we don't do well when we're alone. Isolated from the help of others, we become helpless. And the teacher of our text In Ecclesiastes 4, 7 to 12, who I believe is Solomon, he addresses the issue of trying to do life alone without the help of others. So question is, question is, does it work? Does it work? Is it a good way of life? So let's see what he says. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. So I'll just read this. And then I will describe it afterwards and unpack it. So it says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who was alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. 
again. If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. So he begins by saying, again, I saw vanity under the sun, right? So in that beginning, Solomon, he's saying, okay, it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. And it's just like, wow, Solomon, that's a spirit. Good start. Okay. Okay. All right. So moving on. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. So right here, he, he's referring to one who is all alone. And he's all alone because he is a workaholic. He has no time for anyone or anything but work. And as a result, he has no son and no brother. So in other words, he's saying that this guy, he's rich because he's a workaholic, doing all these things, but he has no one to share any of his riches with because he has no son, um, no one to inherit, and no brother, so no one to enjoy those riches with, no friends, no brothers that he can enjoy it with. So it's like, you know, those things that you know are bad for you, but you can't stop, right? It's, uh, it's like similar to scratching a mosquito bite. You know, once you start, you can't stop. And it's like you start scratching, you can't stop. You know it's bad for you, but you keep on scratching. And you know it's getting worse, and you're just like, ah, oh, it hurts so good, but you keep on scratching anyways. So moving on. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. So this person who's isolated themselves, they become a workaholic, and they're obsessed with their goals, so much so that they're too occupied to even reflect, too occupied to even consider the million-dollar question. Why am I killing myself to work crazy hours and depriving myself of relaxation and enjoying all my toils? Is it worth it? And then Solomon, he observes that people who find themselves in this situation, they're completely hopeless. He says, it's all vanity. You can't do it. You can't live this life alone. Right, and this is the part in the passage where Solomon, he contrasts the first with the second. So he goes, okay, if you can't live this life alone, then how are we supposed to live it? All right, we'll see in verses 9 to 12. And it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. And when he falls, he has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how could one keep warm alone? And you see, to my LeBron fans, this is why he could not win a chip by himself. And listen, it's not my words, it's, it's Solomon's. It's biblical, so. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we see from this passage, from this passage, there are two main points that I see Solomon is trying to tell us. 
two points that I think are crucial for us not to just survive in this Christian life, but thrive. The first point is this. It's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. But, but please don't mix up my words. Don't mix up my words. I, I can feel the angst in some of the introverts who are here today, so hear me out. I'm not saying that you can't have your recharge time because I know I need it. I know that's very important. And I know that a lot of you are looking forward to that time after church today. That's important. But what I'm saying is that we have to tread lightly when we come to a place where we don't want anyone knowing about what's going on in our lives. We have to tread lightly when we come to a place where we shut our church community out of our lives and the issues that we're facing. It's not good for us to be alone. Why? Well, three reasons. Three reasons why. First one is this. We were not made to be all alone. We were not made to be all alone. Even Han Solo, he didn't actually fly solo. He couldn't do it by himself. Even when he was apart from Princess Leia, he had Chewbacca by his side at all times. We were not made to be all alone. Right? So even going back to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis when God created the world out of nothing. And for the youth, you guys remember this from our most recent series. But during the creation of the world, during the creation of the, of the world after God created something, he would acknowledge it. And he would see that it was good. Right? He created the heavens, the earth, light, uh, land, vegetation, animals. And he, he took a back, he stepped back and he saw that it was good. Right up until chapter 2, verse 18, when God made Adam. And in that moment, something happened that had never occurred to that point in all of history and all of time. God said that it was not good. He said that it was not good. And it's interesting because when God made Adam... God made Adam in his own image. So what was the issue? Adam was alone. Adam was alone, and God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So what did God do? God made Eve so that Adam would have company, community, and a relationship similar to the Trinity. You know, it was not good for Adam to be alone. He wasn't made to be alone. And yes, this is a great principle for marriage, but the broader principle that this morning's text is telling us refers to the Christian community. We need it. I need it. Each one of us, we all need it. None of us are exempt. We were not made to be alone. And some of us two years ago, we thought, jackpot. I love COVID. It's great. I don't, gotta, I don't have to go to school. I don't have to go to work. This is going to be the best two weeks to flatten the curve. But very soon, very soon, we all realized we need other people. Texting, snapping, Facebook, Instagram, all those things, teams, it was not enough. It was not enough. That's why we started to value the, the human touch and we started giving longer hugs and we started having secret fires just to meet. We were not made to be alone. But the issue is, even though we are allowed to gather together in person, to worship, to hear the word, 
to pray together. Some of us are still living our lives alone. Some of us still don't let anyone in on our true struggles. We're so quick, some of us, we're so quick in small group to give the shallowest prayer request because we don't want to open up and because we want to try to tough it up and try to struggle and labor on our own. But we were not made for that. Is that any of us today? It's not good to be alone because point 1A, we were not made to be all alone. But also, the next point, we can't survive when we're all alone. We can't survive when we're all alone. Remember, as believers, we're on this narrow road, we're on this narrow path where we're, it's, it's difficult. And, and, and God, he even promises that it would be difficult. So the thing is, we won't be able to survive. We won't be able to survive without the help and love and prayers of others. We see it in 1 Samuel 16 to 23. In those chapters, you know, David, he was anointed to be king with the spirit of the Lord in him. He was successful in every single thing that he did. And apparently, he was even healthy with beautiful eyes and handsome. But when I see that, I say that he's probably a hot guy, right? He began his career as a shepherd, then continued on to kill Goliath, and even become a great warrior and leader in battle. It was to the point where the women, they started dropping mixtapes, talking about how awesome David was. You know, they were dropping bars and singing about how Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands, right? You know, similar to how rappers would give shout outs to accomplished pro athletes in their music, right? The women, they were singing of David's success over Saul's. But because of his great success, the jealous crybaby King Saul, the current king, he tried to have David killed. And when David found out of these intentions, he didn't try to do it alone. He didn't try to handle it all alone. What did he do? Well, he sought the help of his friend, Jonathan, who was Saul's son, who was heartbroken over the news and in complete disbelief. But even against his own father's wishes and commands, he was loyal to the anointed king and gave way to David's escape. And I say all of that to say this. David was the anointed king with the spirit of the Lord in him. He was the strong man who was probably the tough guy who could literally kill tens of thousands with the mixtapes to prove it. You know, he still relied on the help of his friend, Jonathan, to survive. He was humble to come to his brother and in need and desperately ask for help. He knew that his life depended on it. He sought the help of his friend because he knew he could not survive on his own. Do we? Is that the way we ask for help desperately? It's not good for us to be alone. Why? Well, we weren't made to be alone. We can't survive when we're all alone. And point one C, we, we won't flee when we're all alone. We won't flee when we're all alone. We, we won't flee temptations when we're on our own. We often struggle to make good decisions by ourselves. It's like trying to go to a new restaurant. But imagine going without the help 
of someone who works there or with a friend who knows what's good to eat. The same thing with our walk with the Lord, right? We often struggle to make good decisions on our own. We often struggle to choose God over our sin when we're by ourselves, when we lack accountability. Proverbs 18.1, it says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So looking back at David, and just to circle back to him, you actually fast forward um, to when he was finally crowned king, the Lord allowed him to continue his success in war and grew his kingdom. But tragedy, it struck in 2 Samuel 11 when King David got caught sidestepping accountability when he was living in secret sin. It began when David saw Bathsheba bathing in a place David should not have been looking at and was overcome by lust. So after learning that she, who she was and that she was married, he abused his power by getting her pregnant and ensuring that her husband's death would come in battle. So after the deed was done, after the deed was done, he tried living normally with his sin, swept right under the rug. And in a chapter later, Nathan the prophet, he rebukes David and confronts him about his sin. So we see as we read on, David, he was quick to repent and, and, and come to God, and he was broken over his sin. But even after that, he still lost the baby. But the thing is, all of this did not need to happen. This did not need to happen. If David had a God-fearing uh, accountability in place, this would not have happened. Now, I'm certain if he bounced his ideas off of a God-fearing man or woman who he allowed to speak truth into his life, this would not have happened. This is the result of a lack of accountability, thinking that you don't need anyone's help in life, trying to live a life of autonomy, not listening to anyone, thinking that you're strong enough to fight temptations alone. Didn't work for David. Definitely doesn't work for me. And I'm guessing it doesn't work for you as well. And just something that I wonder, like, I'm not sure how Solomon even felt about his dad knowing that he killed his mom's first husband. But it just goes to show that we can't discern when we're all alone. We won't flee temptations when we're all alone. We need accountability. I need accountability. Because it's not good for us to be alone. We weren't made to be alone. We can't survive when we're alone. And we won't flee when we're all alone. Solomon says that this is vanity and an unhappy business. This is no way to live our Christian lives. To be alone is meaningless. It's not good for us to be alone. But that's why point two, point two, God has given us the church so we wouldn't be alone. God has given us the church so we wouldn't be alone. Two is better than one. Church, we're better together. So let's read verses 9 to 12 and see what Solomon says. Verses 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. 
but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-fold cold cord is not quickly broken. He says that in chapter 9, they have a good reward for their toil. So essentially, Solomon, he's saying that if you have at least one other person who's in your Christian life, it's so much better. It's so much better. And in verse 12, if you have a third person to add to that group, so in other words, a community, you are set. That is awesome, good for you. But the thing is, this is not a one-size-fits-all message for all of the communities and all the clubs that you find yourself a part of. Thing is, the thing is, the church is unique in this way. This is for those who believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not just as a God, but the one and only God, the one who reigns in the universe, but also in our hearts as our Lord and Savior. This is for those who believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And in these verses, in verses 10 to 12, I see that Solomon, he gives us two reasons why it's crucial to be in a Christian community. It's crucial. And the first one, first one is this, Christian community brings stability. Christian community, it brings stability. It's true in our lives, in all of our lives. So let's see what verse 10 says again. It says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So this is basically talking about the blessing of someone who has your back, knowing that if you fall, there's still stability, that if you fall, it's all good. It's all good. And how? Why? Well, it's because you have the support of the saints. You're not alone. You're relying not just on your own strength, but the strength of all of the saints, of all the believers, the whole church. So let's continue on in verse 11. It says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So verse 11, this is definitely a good verse for a cold winter night when you want a cuddle buddy. But I like how Charles Spindall describes this verse. He says, but let's not limit this to bedtime warmth. We need someone when there are elements that we can't change, when we can't make it hot if it's cold. We can't get warm if everything around us is cold. That's the point. We're exposed. We are unguarded. We're vulnerable. And in this vulnerable state, we need someone to keep us warm. And this is the key. Listen, listen to put it another way, it's better to have two than one because the other person will support us when we are in a vulnerable, and when we are in a vulnerable spot. See, that's why in Mark 6, Jesus sent out the 12 disciples to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel. He sent all 12 of them out together. But when he sent them, he sent them in twos. He sent them in twos. You know, he could have made them do it alone and they would have covered way more ground but he ensured that the disciples would have stability from their brother if they needed it. Like there would have been times where their partner, the brother would have been discouraged or drained or tired for whatever reason. Maybe they, they were attacked, there was a spiritual attack. But even in that situation, when a, brother, when a brother fell, there was always stability. 
because their partner was always there to give them support when they fell or became vulnerable. And in the same way, church, here, here we come alongside of families to provide stability, to provide spiritual stability through prayers, through worship, through being in the word, but also physical stability, physical stability as well. So it's common for, for example, it's common for small groups to, and families to set up meal trains for those who are struggling for whatever reason, right? And to just bless the people in our church. Our church is here to also meet physical needs. You know, I remember when my whole family, we all caught COVID last year. It was a terrible time because, yeah, we were sick and we couldn't be with our church. And what made it even worse was the fact that we missed the Good Friday service. And I was looking forward to having communion with our church. But I remember even in that time, it was super low. Even in that time when I was discouraged, I still praised the Lord. Not because I'm like some super holy Christian who's like, oh yeah, I like to feel bad so I can praise God. No, not because of that. But when we were suffering, when we were suffering, our church family, you guys, you guys made sure that we had groceries and food throughout our whole quarantine, and it was such a blessing. It was such a blessing to me and my whole family. And it's just like, who does that? Like, what a blessing. And I share this story knowing that this is not a one-time incident that happened. Many families have experienced this generosity of our church, and truly, this is an uncommon community. You know, this is the type of blessing Solomon is talking about. You know, if one falls, one will lift up his fellow. And like, oh my goodness, like I, I would not even know what would have happened if we did not have this church, right? That's why in verse 10b, Solomon says, woe to him who was alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Church, it's a good feeling to know that you can fall and you have the freedom to fall. And that when that happens, you can still have peace knowing that there's still stability. Because that's what Christian community brings. That's what being in a church, that's what being in a small group brings, stability. But not only that, Christian community brings security. Christian community brings security. In addition to feeling stable, you will also feel secure. You know, trying to do this Christian life without a community is like driving on the Burlington Bridge with a newborn in the front seat, without any buckles, without any car seats. If you're responsible, you want to care for your family. You want to ensure their security. You want to make sure that they're secure. That's why, that's why we must be in that community so we can be secure. So let's read in verse 12. What does it say? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So as Christians, we know of one who seeks to prevail against us, one who seeks to devour, one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And alone, as Christians, alone, one has little chance of survival. But that's why God has given us the church. That's why he has given us this body of believers so we wouldn't have to be alone. God has equipped the church with those who serve to ensure the security of the flock. 
Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, it says, so Christ gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God has given the church leaders to be the ones to shepherd and lead the little sheep. Leaders who guide the church according to what the Bible says, who will make the decisions of who we will partner with, the songs that we'll worship to, and the word we'll be fed with. Leaders who protect, love, and, and, and guard their flock by preaching correct doctrine so that the church will know what's right from wrong. Leaders who disciple the flock through passages and equip them to make more disciples. And in a world where the enemy is constantly trying to prevail against our families and against us, it's so good to be in a place knowing that we're in a church, we're in a community that brings security. Security in yours and the life of your family is crucial. And yes, the parents are still the main shepherds of the home, but you don't have to do it alone. Point two, God has given us the church so we would not have to do it alone. We would not have to be alone. Solomon gives us two reasons why it's crucial to be in a community. Christian community brings stability. Christian community brings security. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? So I'm gonna give you three takeaways for you guys to take home the ways that you can apply this text into your life. So here are three takeaways for the Christian community. And the first one is this. Pursue community. Pursue it. Like me, before when I was a desperate single young adult trying to slide into Sydney's DMs and messages, pursue community. Even though if you get left unread, even though she ignores you, you gotta pursue it anyways. Pursue it. It's more than essential. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, let us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's not neglect meeting together because it is so easy to do it. And from that verse, we see that some people, in fact, make some some people make the habit to neglect to pursue Christian community. We need to ensure that we are pursuing godly relationships in our lives. You know, we can't be okay if we know that we don't have Christian brothers and sisters praying with and for us or fellow saints pouring into us. We must not give into the lie. We must not give into the lie that we don't need it because we do. We must not let pride get in the way of living how God wants us to. Pride must not get in the way of experiencing the blessings of the Christian community. We were not made to be alone. We are not made to do it alone. It's like, it's like when I was away with Sydney during our honeymoon. And yes, I'm married and I love my wife and I'm still getting used to my wedding ring. And don't worry, I'm not gonna mention anything about my, my hot wife or anything that's gross. No, I won't do that, no worries. But I remember when we went on our honeymoon, we were blessed to be able to go to Cancun and it was beautiful, but it was hot. It was so hot. 
And before we got married, Sydney, she, she was eager to go to our honeymoon. She was planning, um, planning to achieve and planning um, all of the sunscreen that she was going to bring. Um, she planned to apply it multiple times a day after she got out of the water. She even considered going tanning beforehand to prepare her skin for the Mexico sun. Me, on the other hand, I was like, I don't need any sunscreen. I don't need any tan to prepare myself for the Mexico sun. I'm good. I don't need anything. But looking back, uh, when we came back from our honeymoon, I got way more sunburn than Sydney did. And I remember I even tried to lie about it. It was pretty pathetic. I remember talking to Sydney and being like, oh, Sydney, I think I'm allergic to the heat because my ears are peeling and it's red and it's super painful. And I remember lying about that. Super pathetic. Super pathetic. And after getting burned, I ended up using sunscreen throughout the rest of the trip. But what was my issue? What was my issue? It was pride. I was prideful. And what did that do for me? Well, it got me burned. My pride got me burned. Sunscreen was available for me at the beginning of the trip. And all I needed to do was use it. And Sydney, she would have helped me apply it as well. And maybe the sun was so intense that I still would have gotten burned from that Mexico sun. But the sunscreen would have been a huge help. It would have prevented so much discomfort and peeling on my ears. And in the same way, so many of us, we don't think that we need accountability or encouragement or love from the Christian community because we think we're self-reliant or mentally strong or, or, or experienced. And if this is you, you may be in danger of getting burned. And sure, I'm not doubting that you've been strong up until this point and prepared and equipped for your whole life. But hear me out. Don't let pride get in the way of allowing God to bless you with the people he's chosen to be in your life. Don't let pride burn you. Pursue community. Pursue community. And also, I just want to give a a word of encouragement to my fellow introverts people who struggle in social situations or perhaps you have social anxiety. You want Christian community. You love God. You love worshiping. You love hearing the word, but you hate socializing. And yes, to extroverts, this sounds kind of crazy. But to those I'm talking to right now, dear brother or sister, just endure. Continue to pursue community. Continue to pursue it with everything that you have. Do not grow weary in doing what is good. Keep on going. You need community, and community, it also needs you. Don't give up. If you tried women's ministry or men's or young adults, but things still haven't clicked, try small groups or vice versa. Keep on trying, brother or sister. I know it's so hard, but it's so worth it. Getting connected can be difficult, especially if you perceive that you're feeling alone in your struggle and everyone else is connecting. I know how difficult that could be. I know how discouraging that could be. But press on. Trust me, it's so worth it. You gotta pursue community. It's the first thing. It's important, but in your pursuit, as you pursue your community, the next point is vital. Here it is, point two. You gotta discern community. You got to discern community. 
You gotta discern which community that you are going to be a part of. In other words, you gotta choose your community wisely. Choose your church wisely, right? So maybe you're a new person at this church and you're just checking it out. Maybe you're a visitor, someone invited you, right? Maybe you wanna make this church your home. So in that case, talk to leadership. Attend, discover hope when it's running and research what we believe on our website. And yes, I love my church and, I, and yes, I would, I would love for you to make this church your home but we're not perfect. We're not a perfect church. Maybe, th- maybe this church is not for you, and that's okay. You know, as long as you find yourself in a Bible-believing church with solid doctrine, you know, I pray that you get settled. I pray that you grow, and I pray that you serve that church and bless that church. But before that, you gotta discern your community. You gotta discern your church. You gotta make sure you at least like it. You, you agree with it, and that you've prayed about it. You gotta choose your church wisely. But also in addition to that, you gotta choose your friends wisely. Some of us, we wonder why we are not growing in our faith or desire to know God more. Maybe you've been in the word and you're saturated in prayer, but you're still not growing and you're wondering why, right? You're wondering why, why am I not growing? Maybe it's because the people around you, the people who you you surround yourself with, they're pulling you down. They're pulling you down. Maybe because of the people you spend most time with, the people who you're doing life with, they want the complete opposite thing of what you want. They don't care about giving all glory and honor to God. That's why you have to choose your friends wisely because I'm certain that all of us, we will become like the people we spend our most time with. So right now, let's ask ourselves these questions. Who is it that I spend my most time with? Who is it that I spend most of my time with? And the second one is this. Do, you, do they seek to honor God? Do they seek to honor God? Because depending on your answer, you may need to prioritize, reprioritize your time and spend it elsewhere. And by no means am I saying you have to drop all your non-Christian friends and drop all your non-Christian family. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, by no means am I saying that because it's not as easy as just cutting people off because we're supposed to show love to those people. We're supposed to be salt um, in this world. But that's why we must choose our friends wisely. We must be discerning. We must be careful. That's why we're supposed to bring it to the Lord and to, to, to open ourselves to truth from other believers as well. We've got to choose our friends wisely. We've got to choose our church wisely. We've got to choose our community wisely. So num- number one, we've got to pursue community. We've got to make sure you're actually in one. We've got to discern community. Make sure it's the right and God-honoring community. And thirdly, finally, we have to engage community. We have to engage it, engage the people around us, engage our church with our small group. You know, we can't just be satisfied to exist in them. We also got to engage and put effort into those relationships to be part of this community. We have to be involved in it. The NBA has a teammate of the year award that they give out every single year since 2013. So this recognizes the NBA's ideal teammate who engages his whole team. You know, he does it with selfless play. 
He does it with commitment and dedication to his team on and off the court. He's a person who you know. He's going to make that pass. He's going to do everything he needs to do that won't get him any stats. But he does what is best for his team. He's a guy who's looking out for all of his mates and giving them pointers so that they could all succeed. He's also the guy who is easy to coach and will ask you for help and make you feel like you are needed. He gets, vote, he gets voted by his team. And the player with most votes, and, and they win, they get to give a $25,000 donation to the charity of their choice. So as believers, we are all called to engage our church and small, group, uh, and small groups like this. We are to be the ideal churchgoer or member in a small group. So it looks like this, that you prioritize your church and prioritize the ministries that you are a part of. You prioritize your readings, your homework, your fellowship. We are to be dependable. But also remember that God has called your church and your small group to also bless you. So we have to be open to be blessed when it's time for that. Galatians 6 verse 2 commands us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if we have physical or spiritual needs, we have to ensure that our small group, that our church knows about them. We can't just suffer in silence. We have to remember to not get burned by pride as I did in Mexico. We have to allow them to bear our burdens, to not ever just suffer in silence because we don't have to to be blessed by our Christian community around you. Just remember that our Christian community, they're, they're ready to bless you. They are excited to bless you. So let's allow them opportunities to do that. But also, as we are receiving, as we are being blessed, we also have to ensure that as we're able, we are bearing the burdens of those around us as well. And we don't do them out of guilt, or, 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 or shame or because of any obligation to win any NBA award, but rather we bear these burdens of our community out of gratitude from the Lord's abundance of grace and mercy for us on the cross. Knowing that if we are in Christ, we are giving out of a cup that is overflowing from a God who will always provide for us. Engage your community. So the three takeaways for the, Christian, for the Christian community from this passage is to pursue community, to pursue those relationships to get connected in small groups, to discern community, to choose your community wisely, bring it to the Lord, ensure your church and close friends are people who bring you closer to and point you to God, and finally, engage community, engage our community, engage our church with our small group and be the church and small group member who is selfless, committed, and dedicated to those people. And not out of obligation or for a prize, but rather out of thanksgiving from the cross and knowing that God will always provide. And guess what follows? Guess what follows when we do that? Joy. Joy. Because this is not vanity. In fact, for believers, this is living out God's design because it is not good for us to be alone. God has given us his church 
so we wouldn't be alone.